Mrs. Rossi. I heard about the weekend job. Come on in. They put him in a veteran's home, but he hated it. Colonel's a gentleman. A real hero. This is some guy. Down deep, the man is a lump of sugar. Get in here, you idiot. What do you want? Give me what I want. What do you want here? I want, I want a job. A job. I promise you, easy three hundred bucks. So we just finished watching the third film in our Al Pacino round, being the nineteen ninety two Oscar winning classic Scent of a Woman. Uh, this was my pick, and I picked this film, um, having quite a long history with it, being one of my mum's favourite films. Um, I feel like I've seen the courtroom scene in it a million times. It's a classic. It's obviously the Oscar bait the quintessential Oscar bait scene and a reference that has made its way into pop culture based on how Oscar baity it is, in fact. Um, I love that film. I love Pacino's performance. I think it's his best individual performance of his career. And I think it's a fantastic film, notwithstanding the cliches and the obvious Oscar bait at times. Um, I'll hand it over to Connor for his first impressions, giving, given that he has not seen the film before. In uh, in solidarity with uh, Colonel Slade, I'm going to do this podcast um, without my glasses and, and visually impaired. So if I, you know, take your arm at any point, Stefan, that's just me trying to look for guidance on this podcast journey that we're going on. And I just, uh, you know, this uh, was definitely one on the radar of films that I needed to see in the Pacino sort of pantheon. Not something that I'd seen before. I, in my youth, obviously was attracted to the sort of gangster films, um, you know, his performances, Michael Corleone, his performance in Scarface and those sort of things. Um, and I haven't actually got around to this film in the past. And I've spoken on this podcast on, you know, my surprising, I suppose, lack of actual appreciation for Pacino's film repertoire um, outside of his, you know, particularly screen grabbing performances um, and this has always been a bit of a blind spot for me, so I'm very appreciative of the fact that I've had to see it now. I agree with Stefan's comment that it is clearly, you know, sort of an Oscar bait film. Pacino, notably, despite the fact that he had perf- given one of the greatest performances of all time in The Godfather Part Two, had not received an Oscar. Um, and this year was actually notable given the fact that he was both um, Vicky Roma in... Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, and um, Colonel uh, Lieutenant Colonel Slade in Scent of Woman in the same year, and he was given the he was ultimately given the the Oscar for best performing actor for this performance. And I agree with Stefan that it's an excellent performance. I disagree with Stefan in the sense that I don't think it is his best performance. I think that does still sit with Michael Corleone in Godfather Part Two, and we'll discuss that next week. But Ultimately, you know, this film is is geared around his performance. It's very focused on him as a character and um, and really lives and breathes in what we have come to know um, the great man uh, throughout his career since this day. You know, this was really his entrance into his... I suppose let's go on from there. So this is... Steph, I think you'd agree with me that this is his sort of... Um, his, his not not a descent, but him diving into this new sort of bombastic actor beyond, and then it really does have its kernels of, of genesis in this film. 
Yeah, I mean, I think he, he he's... Uh, the volume's on 10 in this film. It's exactly the context that you mentioned, that if you look at his filmography to this point, he has done some incredible performances, some of which we have watched so far in this Al Pacino round, and to, this day, and to that date had not won Best Actor. This is his, his uh, Hail Mary, but not being a Hail Mary, because this is his conventional application to the Academy Awards. This performance cannot be overlooked. I've, I'm taking it up to 10. I dominate the film, every aspect of it. I play a blind man. I play a, mili- uh, an, a veteran, an alcoholic, someone um, with uh, no real purpose who discovers his purpose. This is conventionally an Oscar film in every sense of the formula that it follows. And uh, I think it's a great performance. I think not only is he benefiting from a great script and a great premise, and I'll, I'll mention, I wanted to start with the premise, but the premise of the poor prep school student who's there on a scholarship accepting an offer from the, offer, from the, the pin-up board um, to look after a military veteran for the weekend and that weekend being a trip to New York City uh, to, to have, one last to have yeah, moment of... the best tastes of life before you blow your brains out is one of the best premises in film history. Like, just as a starting point, if I pitch that, say that's the film that we're going to watch, everyone's in, I feel. Yeah, and then, on. Not to mention that, you know, the, the, the veteran in, in that context is played by Al Pacino. But the premise is amazing, and Pacino's performance is perfectly paired with Chris O'Donnell's. I'm not a huge Chris O'Donnell fan, and I think it's probably... Um, it's appropriate that his career fell off in the manner that it did. But obviously, you know, late 80s, early 90s, he was a bit, he was a he's like, a huge actor. Then the, this is a huge role at this time. All, absolutely. All the young men in Hollywood were going for this film because it, Pacino was already cast. Yep. You know, the film was already structured around. It was very clear that this was going to be a prestige cinema piece. Yep. And it was those young men who found you know, who were found to fill this role. And Chris O'Donnell was the man at the time. And, and look, he didn't go on to have the career of someone like a, a Leo DiCaprio or a... But he's perfect for this role. That's what he I'm is absolutely he's perfect for He's gentle, a um, little bit more feminine, a little bit more sensitive. The scene... Um, His eyes are electric. Where they, yeah, where they have the breakdown and he's crying. Like, he's perfect for this role because he's not... He, he doesn't need to do too much. He's playing quite a simple role. There's not a lot of complexity in the emotion as he's playing a high school, uh, high school student and he does it perfectly. So Pacino is the beneficiary of Chris O'Donnell's performance in this in that they are perfectly contrasted, the alpha male against essentially you know, the young, naive kid who actually in the end shows more courage than most men would show in their entire life. But the pairing of them is just perfect and from a casting standpoint... Um, a script standpoint, the film is phenomenal. And it's actually interesting in the sense of how, you know, obviously the film... Obviously the film is centred around, you know, Pacino's character and, um, you know, Lieutenant Colonel Slade in the sense of that's the, that's the performance that won the Oscar and all those sort of things. However, it actually was very well balanced in the sense of it did focus on both Slade's character and Chris O'Donnell's character equally and I think it really towed a very strong line between you know exploring 
both characters and, and the issues that they were facing um, and really felt very balanced out of that sense. I don't think either story, you know, both storylines are obviously sort of symbiotically related, but certainly engaged throughout the whole film and ne- neither part field felt underbaked or, um, or, or underdeveloped. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. I think that the film does a really... It's obviously a long film, so there's a long run time to be able to flesh out those two stories. But it's like it's quite subtle, particularly with Chris O'Donnell's character, with Charlie. It, it's quite subtle in how it fleshes it out. Like, it kind of starts from a position of, uh, you know, Slade is almost a psychic. Like, he's, you know, he's been around the block so much, he's able to read every situation. He's able to assume the situation that Charlie's in. He's able to guess his way about what he's facing, what the other boys would be like, the parental support, the financial support. And they don't just, they don't blurt out and word vomit to you, poor old Charlie. They let it kind of happen organically. And then you have that scene when they're driving towards the end of their trip in New York and he tells um, Colonel Slade, you know, this is kind of my family background, the stepdad thing. I don't really get along with him. And that's the moment where you realise that, like, he has kind of become a father figure to him in a lot of ways. You know, it's the scenes with the... Um, how, he, how he wears his suit, how he gets his suits tailored, um, the way he approaches the woman in the bar, the way that he dances. Like, this is a father figure to him. And it's been an organic relationship that well, both of them didn't know that they needed. And speaking of that, you know, there's even that scene where um, Pacino goes to, you know, and uh, as Stefan alluded to earlier in the podcast in the sense of Pacino's there to, you know, have this last taste of life and effectively to end his life and end his life on a high. And there's this scene where Pacino tries to do that and Chris O'Donnell's Charles character tries to stop him and he effectively says to him, he's like, you know, he's like, do you want me to adopt you? Um and, and my first thought was, you know, is this the height of the sort of adoption craze? You know, is this what leads into the, um, you know, the, um, you know, Hollywood... The Anthony, you know, the, the Angelina Jolie's of the Angelina world. Angelina Jolie adopting, you know, these wounded children out of Africa. Because, yes, he's a, bit of a, he's a bit of a wounded puppy and a bit of a lone puppy in terms of his schooling, but he still technically does have a mother, you know? Like, like do do. How did you appreciate the you know yeah I mean this, she's, this concept of adoption in the sense of you know the child still has a family he just yeah, he's yeah. not as close he's, to it he's from a blue collar family she owns like a local business that presumably doesn't make that much money his stepdad's a dickhead it's more like he doesn't come from an ideal family background but I don't think he's like hard done by no. you know like he's got this scholarship he's had a good school or whatever it's more that like the 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 choice that he's currently facing. Um, as regards the, you know, the, the prank at the school and what he knows about it, is that like the options are he has like a simple but normal life or he goes on to do much better things. That's kind of the trade-off. The trade-off's not like be a junkie or be, you know, a Harvard law professor. But yeah. It's definitely an aspirational sense of like this is the this is the, you know, golden clouded future that is in front of you yeah or you have the sense of mediocrity and in that sense it's very inspirational in the sense of it's very american um aspirational goals of, of, of what can occur and i suppose he's that true epitome of the the american i suppose hubris of we are the best in the world and and he's this example of of an upstanding gentleman who can perform that role you know, 
uh, counteracted against the reality of the, you know, who are the actual people who perform these roles? You know, these sort of... Yeah, it's about... The, the film's about what's at your core, essentially. Like this, what uh, Slade represents. He drinks, he's a womaniser. Um, he's obviously been an alcoholic his whole life. He did this stupid prank with the grenades. He's kind of like an unhinged guy or whatever. Um, but he sees the best of someone in Charlie in that he's unwilling to rat and that that's kind of like a military thing and an American thing really at its core, like you alluded to, that like, you know, these American soldiers might not be the best guys. They're, they're jarheads, they're, they're meatheads, um, they're womanizers, they drink, they party, they, they don't have the great reputation in the international military community. But like, I bet at their core, they don't rat on their friends. No. You know, and that and that's really what the the film's about is like, because um, they kind of they contrast it with the fact that uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's character is like this smooth talking, like obviously like doesn't really take himself too seriously, but it's like a real smooth talker. Going to dog. Yeah, doesn't seem rattled in the slightest um, by what's happened until the final scene. Until the final scene, when you actually really get to their core of who they are, Ch- Charlie's unwilling to rat. He's you know ratted through tears and basically embarrassed Pressured himself. Yeah, into it, but embarrassed himself in the process. Embarrassed himself in front of the entire school, um, and um, Charlie at his core still maintains that true you know, alpha masculinity doing the right thing no matter what situation you're faced with, even when your future's on the line. And I think yeah, the, the, that, that is integrity, the, the ultimate day, you know, like everyone's, everyone has integrity when, when they have nothing to lose and, and you know, true Yeah, but will you do the right them. thing when you have everything to lose? Exactly. Most people would cower down. That's right. I think one of the questions coming out of this film for me, Steph, was... At what, at what point in my life um, does it become appropriate for me to, to have a, a friendship with a person who's 50 years younger than me, like 40 years younger than me? Like at, what's, <laughs> at, at, at when does it become appropriate? You know, like obviously right now it would not be appropriate for me to become friends with a 10-year-old boy who, uh, you know, who is unrelated to me. Um, and I think that extends you know, beyond it. Um, into various but, uh, spectrums the, throughout life. Friends with a twenty-one-year-old boy when you're fifty. Um, you know, is is that appropriate? And, and at what point do we get to enjoy the fruits of that friendship? Well, I think uh, the answer to that would be kind of given your uh, choice of profession. There's probably plenty of opportunities for you to take on a mentor role. Exactly. Yeah. Perhaps when you're in a later stage of your career. Yeah. And uh, perhaps push that uh, that role away from the professional environment to a. <laughs> You know, to a uh, double jacks on the rocks relationship. And I'll be telling him about the uh, the moments of my youth of East vs. West and, yeah. uh, and double John Daniels. Barley trips. And, and, yeah, 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 yeah. And a, yeah, a rack you'll, be, you'll be patting him on the leg and saying, don't water it down, mate. <laughs> you know, when you go yeah. to the bars, don't tell him to water it down, please. No, nah, please. Yeah, double And he'll be like, Connor, just give me the gun. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, no. This is what I need. Yeah. But let's um. So it's obviously it's a it's a very long film. It's two and a half hours. I think it's over two and a half hours. Um, but like from a just you know not not getting into the nitty gritty too much in terms of first impressions of the scenes that you enjoyed the most because there are some fantastic. There's some scenes here that if you just YouTube describe the scene like you know, centre woman dancing scene, centre woman tribunal scene, 
what were some of your favourite scenes in the film that you thought, like, this is Pacino, 10 out of 10, knocking it out of the park? Honestly, there's, there's three or four scenes that are just... Basically, any scene with Pacino and... Any scene with Pacino, Charles, and one third party are brilliant. So any scene where he's... You know, speaking with, you know, they're on the plane in first class on the way to New York and they're yeah, yeah, talking yeah. about the waitress, elite scene. Elite. The scene where... Where he describes his infatuation for the female form. The scene where they're getting the uh, the suits tailored and he's speaking to the, to, to the seamstress, you know, oh, bueno, bueno, you know, like elite scene. Yeah. The scene where he's, you know, talking to the, the, the lonely woman who's been stood up and describing, you know, her scent and, and asking her if she if she's um, you know, passionate in life and, and wants to learn the tango. Yeah. Elite scene. Um the scenes in the back of the, the uh limousine with the limousine driver and they're discussing, you know, what's what's next in life, like elite scene. All of those scenes are brilliant. And Pacino, yeah, as you said, turns it up to ten, creates this real, you know, this is the genesis of that show me what you want, you know, you know, that that yelling Pacino over the top performance that ultimately comes to characterize his acting life post Glengarry Glen Ross and, and you know into the future um, comes out of this this film. Yeah, that it's a great summary of some of the great scenes and you know the the performance Pacino gives. My obviously the the Oscar the most Oscar bait scene is the final tribunal yeah. scene and um, he's just yelling over the top of this uh, headmaster the whole time. The pompous won't be yeah won't be silenced and gives this basically this total breakdown of how you should live your life and like what Charlie has that no one else has and like is this really what we want to value in our society in our schools in our education system like it's just this all encapsulating amazing speech and I do love that scene but it is a bit Oscar Beatty um, particularly the clapping at the end and you know the slamming the uh, it's the whole thing but my favourite scene in the film is by far the dancing scene I just love the scene of uh, how he first identifies the scent of the woman, how he asks her to dance, the look on Pacino's face during the dance scene, and then the interaction with the like hapless boyfriend that rocks up and is clearly just like not appreciative of women in the same sense that Pacino is. And you have that contrast of like how these two different men like interact with with women, and it's just it's just fantastic. It's just my favourite scene. I, I never get old of seeing it. I get chills every time that music kicks in when he starts uh, tangoing with the girl. And I think that that role is cast fantastic. So obviously she's attractive, but she's also like, does the shy girl that's just like, eventually kind of like wowed. Like that, the final scene where he speaks to her boyfriend and like the look she's giving him the whole time, just like, fuck, that's like what a real man is kind of thing. That's the realisation she's having in real time. It's just a, fantastic scene i love it but from a humor standpoint i think um you know you touched on it a little bit but like this film is underrated funny it's yeah. really funny there's a, there's a lot of scenes with pacino and like i don't know who wrote the script or who's coming up with these these isms that he that he comes out with but he has like met, yeah he has a metaphor for everything he's got the, the who are the obviously military thing throughout the film but you know his his metaphors and his quotes are just... It's one of the best scripts um, that you'll ever see. And I think that's what Zan said, who Zan is unfortunately not with us today, but, you know, Zan sort of mentioned that, you know, the writing of the film was his his, his favourite parts and the um, 
performance that obviously was drawn out of that writing was um, you know his favorite part of the film, and I think that's easily understood in terms of why anyone would like this film because of the writing and Pacino's performance behind it. And so, do, are you, uh, do, you, do you take this film down a few pegs for the Oscar bait stuff? Like, obviously, I mean, like, it's pretty on the nose at times, particularly that tribunal scene. I mean, like, yeah. no part of that tribunal scene is realistic in any sense. Yeah, so, I mean, I've had a few, like, I've listened to a few topics on this, on this film, and, and I actually came into it thinking that it was actually going to be less less entertaining than it was. Like, a right. lot of people, you know, sort of hampered on about the, the length of the film and I suppose... It is, it's a long run time. The pandering of the, the Oscar bait-ness of the whole film. However, I honestly don't think in terms of actually watching it that it played out to that degree. I don't think it was as Oscar baity as people could yeah. Cl- yeah. proclaim it to be at, or as long, you know, sort of as bloated as some people have commented on. I mean, obviously, you know, whether you think that he deserved best actor for this over someone, something like um, Denzel Washington's performance in Malcolm X, um, you know, that's a, that, that's a debate to be had for another discussion. However, I think that the performance was clearly worthy of at least nomination and a great performance. And yes, whether it's a sort of lifetime achievement award and whether they should have, had, they should have given him a, a, an Oscar for, for some of his... Um, earlier performances, I, I would agree with that, but I don't think it necessarily takes away from the actual quality of the film. I, I think people have underrated it in that sense um, of of what the film actually standing on its own two legs, absent the context of the Oscars and the, the length and all those things. I think it actually was um, was actually a really good film. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. Um, and obviously the first couple of times I saw it, I had no context of the Oscar baitness, and I just used to watch it and think it was a fantastic film, and that's still how I feel now. I'm like, there's a few moments where you're like, this is a bit on the nose, but for the most part, the, the, the Oscar bait take to me is only applicable and I only really give it legs when the film tries to do the Oscar bait thing and it's an awful film. There's a few examples of that. Like, I know, uh, like, another film that I would have in this category being the Centre of a Woman category is, like, for example, The Green Book, which, like, people said that was really Oscar baity or whatever, but it stands it's on its movie. own as a great yeah. film. It's a great film. It's got two great performances. It's an interesting historical story, and then there's some fantastic shots in it. Like I think the clear ones that are Oscar baited are sort of the films like, what's the one with, um, with the bloke from those recent Harry Potter films where he plays Daniel Stephen Radcliffe. Hawking's? Oh, um, um, Benedict Cumberbatch. No, 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 the... Um, Benedict Cumberbatch. No, no, not Benedict Cumberbatch. The bloke from the... Fantastic Beasts films. Oh, yeah, so by Stephen uh, Hawking's. Yeah, that's not my not the, my area of expertise. Anyway, it was about six, seven years ago. I'm probably probably longer now, probably ten years ago. Yeah, okay. um, where he played Stephen Hawking, and you know, that was a clear Oscar bait film, and, um, yeah, and I think it actually I think it actually eventually won, but you know, like well, they like very good. Yeah, well, I mean, that's kind of like the quintessential Oscar bait, isn't it? Is when someone plays someone with an impairment. Which obviously in this film you have the, the that he's blind, but I mean this is like kind of what Tropic Thunder makes fun of. Is exactly. like you know Eddie the, Redmayne in the Theory of Everything, two thousand fourteen. Yeah, I've seen the I've seen the Theory of Everything. Yeah. yeah. And what do you think of it? Yeah, yeah, not great. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. So, I think that's the classic sort of Oscar thing in the sense of yeah, 
the mentally challenged person or the physically disabled person, you know, who overcame the odds, who overcame the odds. And yeah, it's a very simple story. And like, well, that's, that's not what this is. That's not what this is. At yeah, all. this is quite a dark film. Like, there's nothing being overcome really, apart from yeah. you know, sort of the recognition of you know the soul and the and the the perseverance and the fruit of life to come is the ultimate is what is ultimately found in this film and, and but I don't think it, it, it didn't labour that point you know and I, I think I don't even think theoretically you needed to have Colonel Slade be a blind like I don't think it it didn't turn the story of the film no to me no yeah and I think that sort of speaks to the fact of whether it's Oscar Bate or not in the sense of you know yes he was blind in this film but I don't think it ultimately was, was yeah and when you find out the reason why he's blind, if anything, I feel like it kind of enhances his character and makes it like a little bit more of a tragedy in the sense that like, you know, he's obviously the alcoholic and he has this, this accident or whatever, but it's like, you don't, you don't take him down a peg for the fact that like it didn't happen during combat. No. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't really detract from him, from his character. If anything, it kind of adds to the tragedy of it. Well, I think that's right. It, it yeah. adds to the tragedy clearly in the sense of, you know, he's a man who went through combat and, and then gave, you know, risked his life for the country and then ultimately was damaged through circumstances, um, you know, outside of the traditional conflict that we would appreciate and he's treated thusly. Um, yeah. yeah. And I would say, that, you know, this film, Apex Mountain dancing scene, you know, like obviously you got like Dirty Dancing and like some other Saturday Night Live. So there's some... Uh, Saturday Night Fever, sorry. There's some classic uh, dancing scenes in films. But, I mean, this dance scene is definitely, like, Apex Mountain for me. And then, also low-key, a fucking awesome New York City movie. Like, obviously, there's oh. so many examples of that. But the, 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 the water of Astoria, the, the hotel scenes you get, the, the dinner scene where he comes and, the, you know, the guy, oh, you've got, you got to wear a jacket in here and you get the dinner jacket. And, like, you really see the best of New York. There is no, like, scum New York in this film notwithstanding to 90s New York, which would have been pretty rough. Like, what's I, a, I what's give... the room at the Waldorf Astoria, New York, going for these days? Like, what's the... Uh... Yeah, it'd be interesting to know. I'd say it's by far, like, the most expensive hotel you could stay there. Um, and the rooms are enormous, and it's just awesome. And then I love the scene where they take the Ferrari for the test drive, and you have the backdrop of New York City in the background. I don't know where exactly they are. Like, I, they're obviously in a borough that's outside of Manhattan in the CBD. So I don't know if they're in, like, Harlem or if they're in, like, Staten Island or they're somewhere. Because they almost look like they've crossed a bridge. Maybe they're in Brooklyn, and that's, you know, pre-gentrification of Brooklyn. But you've got that awesome scene of the city... Uh, pre nine eleven in the background. Yeah. It's just like low key heater New York City film. Like great New York City film. Oh, absolutely. I mean it, it, and it's shown even in the film it's sort of given this sense of um mystique and this sense of um sort of aspiration when they you know, he says to Charles, he's like, We're going to New York City and Charles is like, What? Like we can't go to New York City. But, yeah. So we're going there, they go through the first class lounge to get there and you know it's very much it just has the sense of like it's it's not obviously you know it's not going to explore the realities of New York and the the fact that you get mugged you know going down yeah because Forty Fourth Avenue or whatever it is but it has this very aspirational sense yeah, of New York yeah it's it's a vehicle for him to have the best taste of life before he ends his life yeah absolutely and I think you know there's a there's a there's a way to experience New York and then there's another way to experience New York there's a yeah. 
taken the the subway out to Brooklyn and it, uh, exploring the suburbs and uh, driving going, around in a limousine and yes, yeah, and there's uh, yeah having Ford a driver and like Ferrari Testarossa. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, and, and that's why I say that I think this film, in a lot of ways, is the best of New York. Like it's yeah, it's a great New York film. And so, what do you think of Pacino's character in the sense of you know his absent care for the social structures of life and his, you know, I suppose, just pursuing his goals and, uh, you know, did you, did you have um, an aff- Well, he's obviously... He's, or? I mean, he's just clearly, like, a broken man in a lot of ways. Like, he's, uh, as a result of the accident that's happened to him, as a result of his drinking, as a result of um, missing this opportunity with Lyndon Johnson's uh, administration, he, in a lot of ways... He's missed the mark. He's aimed and he didn't, he didn't hit the target. And uh, as a result, he's fallen off. And I would say, um, you know, he's quite depressed about the state he finds himself in. He tried the veteran home. The veteran home's not for him. He clearly doesn't think highly of his family. But it's more the things that he has the issue with are not objective truths. They're his subjective take on it. You know what I mean? Like, the family actually does seem to be like a wholesome family. and The kids are cute and all the rest of it. But he's not, just, yeah. he's got this subjective, like, it's not the best of the best, and I could have had the best. And uh, so I think he's beating himself up for that. And then you have the, the Thanksgiving scene for context, um, which I think is like, you know, his family are kind of just sick of his shit. And, he, you know, you have the scene with the brother where they, that, the brother and him obviously have a connection because the brother tries to stop the nephew talking several times. And as they leave, he says to the brother, you know, I was always no good. Um, so I think that, um, yeah, I, I don't know if it's his uh, lack of interest in adhering to the, the standards of the social structure as much as it is that he's just a broken man. Yeah, I agree. I think, um, I think it's a... I think it's a, it's Something strong... admirable about it in the sense that, like, you're not the same as everyone else. Yeah, you're I, not, I think you're it's... You're not adhering to protocol. I think it's absolutely admirable in the sense of, like... That is what life... That's the suit of life at the end of the day. Like, you know, no one wants to be... The same as No one wants to be stuck in a, in a stuffy sort of social hierarchy. Everyone yeah. wants to break free. And he's, he's found his opportunity to do so. And, you know, it, it's unfortunate that he, you know, felt he had to sort of um, commit to the end of his life in order to do that. But that's the, that's the ultimate goal of everyone in life is to break free of the social structure and to be truly themselves. Be your authentic self. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I think it's everyone's goal. And that's certainly my goal in life. And like, I think I, I take inspiration out of that film. Definitely. His character is inspirational from, from that perspective. And from, his, from the perspective of just like his total command of the room and his command of the dialogue and his, uh, his read on characters. And it's, it's something that... Uh, He's an elevated man. Young people, yeah, young people don't usually have. No. And... Um, you develop it over years and years and years. And, yeah. you know, obviously his experiences in the military would have been um, at the forefront of that. I'm looking forward to my time in life when I can send, um, you know, my page boy down to uh, pick up a particular uh, cigar from, from my preferred cigar dealer and I'll say, you know, say it's for Conor Common and, and they'll know what it means. <laughs> and they'll, the page boy will come back to you with your brains, brains blown out on the <laughs> Bali yeah, Villa yeah. bed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Give me all you got. Yeah. Give me all you got. Come on. Yeah. Or, yeah, the page boy pulling you away from the bar in Bali as you have one last long on iced tea. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a 
twenty dollar long ass tea. Can we afford this? Like, we can afford anything this weekend. <laughs> yeah, that uh, that 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 concept of it is great too. That it's just uh, obviously he's got no expenses. He's living in his family. He's just saving this military pension for this one blowout weekend. Kind of like a microcosm for how everyone lives their life. Like yeah, just yeah. Uh, grinding away on the nine to five every day, or much longer hours than that for some people, and. Uh, all in the hopes of getting, like, you know, four days in a Bali villa where you just <laughs> write yourself off and... Hey, that's what I just experienced. It was, it was grand. Yeah. It was grand, I'll tell you that. <laughs> I think I dropped about a grand a week. It was good. In Bali? Yeah. Yeah. It was good vibes. Lots of, uh, lots of cocktails, I'll put it that way. Nice. Do you want to have a, uh, a brief chat about the sort of Pacino pantheon? Or do you want to save it for next week? Or what are you... Yeah, I think it's, it might be more appropriate at the end of the uh, the four films that we do. Like I said, I've, you know, I've already said where I think this ranks for me in terms of individual performance. I think this film gives him the most room to work with, um, gives him the most lines. I, I'd, I'd love to have a uh, fact check on uh, films that have you know total Pacino lines. I think this film's probably number one in terms of total yeah, dialogue. Yeah, probably up there. Um, so this room, yeah, giving him the longest leash, it's his uh, his chance at Oscar glory, and he did not uh, he did not fail. He rose to the occasion. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. I, I think like I really loved his performance. I personally don't think it's you know I don't I I don't think this is his best performance that I've ever seen Pacino in, and I don't think I would say that this is you know his sort of best performance pound for pound of his career. I think it's an excellent performance and worthy of, um, you know, whether it's worthy of Oscar is, you know, that's a, that's a separate discussion, but I really enjoyed it. Um, and, you know, I, I, I just thought it was, um, yeah, a great performance all around and, and a really good film. Something that I actually thought it was going to be worse than it was, but it was, it was really, really Yeah, strong. I feel like its reputation is worse than it actually is. Its reputation is that like, yeah, yeah it's a really good film, but it's probably like a seven out of 10 when it's like, it's not. It's still in the upper. Yeah. Yeah. It's not. So, do, do we want to go on to ratings? Do we want to, do we want to wrap? Yeah. It so up? Zan gave it an eight point five, was it or an eight? Zan gave it an eight point five. Yeah. Eight point five. Yeah. yeah. So I think, um, I you know, given the, what I feel about uh, Pacino's performance in it, um, I love the premise of the film. Um, you know, every time I watch it, it ends with me thinking, you know, I'd love to have a father figure alcoholic uh military veteran in my life that i can catch up with every you know public holiday or something and hit the town like it's just such Find a great escort in town. alpha male yeah just alpha male character it's one of the best um for me it's a nine uh i just i just love it i i i do think the runtime is a bit long so i i deducted a point for the runtime and um I'm not a massive fan of how the film ends and the tribunal scene and just kind of like how cliche it is. I think that like you could have finished the film with it kind of speaking for itself. Like it almost ends like a Spike Lee film where like he's got a political message and at the end of the film like the political message is portrayed in the credits or something. Like it's almost that but like a dramatic version of it. Um, So I give it a nine. Yeah, I think it's it's an apt apt rating. You know, I agree in the sense of I thought it was a very good film, a very strong Pacino performance, performance, and actually one that I thought 
yeah, has um, sort of grown in its standing over recent years, despite the fact that it has been sort of seen as a bit of a, oh, you know, this was a you know, bit of an Oscar bay, you know, unworthy Oscar winner. It's actually not as good as it was. I would disagree with all those sort of aspersions about the film. I think it was a, it, it's a truly good Pacino performance and actually very interesting story that stands on its own two legs, explores, you know, yeah, a very aspirational character, an alpha male, a... Um, you know, a gentleman and a man who's, um, you know, interested in, you know, the, the the beauty of life and the love of life. And um, and I really enjoyed it. Again, I, I agree with you, Stefan, that I think this, that this sort of ending um, left something to be desired. Um, and I'll personally sort of agree with the, the level that Zan gave and I'll maybe give it an, an 8.5. But I thought, um, you know, a, an excellent film and a very good Pacino performance. All right. So we're ending the uh, Pacino round with an absolute heat up, being Godfather 2. So ready. Not one of the only, not one of only the best Pacino performances, but also one of the best films ever made. So keep an ear out for for that one in a few weeks' time. We'll see what happens. It might be, who knows, it might be a two-hour performance.